0: guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And so here's what we're doing with this study. We are doing a study where we are trying to understand what we believe, what our faith is, because we live in interesting times where the struggle is very real and we're getting confronted all the time about what people are making as far as statements about what Christianity is about. For some, it's some sort of political movement. Folks, it's not a political movement, it never has been. Okay? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about. The relationship, knowing him. In fact, he said that in John 17. This is eternal life, that they know you and the, the one you sent, which is me, that we know Jesus through a personal relationship with him. That's the reality of what Christianity is. But what exactly is it? Because a lot of times if we get asked questions about what it is, we, we really don't know or we have false assumptions. And it's, today we're especially going to see some folks who are operating under some really false assumptions about what it means to be okay with God. And and so we have been progressing through this letter because the key verse, which I said is the whole key to understanding what Christianity is about, was found in chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul writes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's it. That's the essence of what we believe, that we live our lives, we are justified before God because we live our lives by faith in who? Jesus. And to express that, you've got to understand that the dilemma that the rest of the world is in. The rest of the world is in a dilemma. And what's that dilemma? That If they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. And so as to make the case for you to understand that, he kind of is working his way through four different groups. Now, we've already seen two of the groups. And it's a progression, so you understand where he's going. So the first group is the folks who said they don't want to have anything to do with God. They're doing it on their own. And God says, okay, you go ahead on your own. And he gives them over to whatever they want. But the problem is, is they got to face the consequences of what they want. And they're condemned. The next group is the group that says, well, they're the, they're the better than you group. They're the group that wags the finger at the first group and condemns them for what they're doing. They're the moralists. They're the people who are very self-righteous. And, and I can't believe that they did that. Well, the problem with that group is, The very standard by which they judge others, they themselves cannot live up to because they're doing the same thing. What do you mean they're doing the same thing? Maybe they're not doing the actions, but we've already seen through Jesus' teaching that you don't have to do actions to sin. You just need to think about it in your mind and in your heart and you do the same thing. And so therefore, the moralist, the self-righteous guy is condemned. Well, with that progression, so you move from the people who want nothing to do with God, you've got the other group, they're not necessarily with God, but they're like really moral and self-righteous, they're condemned, he gets to the third group, which I call the holier-than-thou group. And I think we can understand that. you ever met somebody who's holier-than-thou? They tend to be, I'll give you another name for them, they're the religious people. And sadly, they're in our churches. They're the folks that they think that they're okay because they have all these assumptions about why they're okay. It may not necessarily be because they're like the moral person condemning someone or, or they might say, well, I'm not like the first guy doing my own thing. They would say they have God. But their assumptions about having God are incorrect. In fact, Paul's getting ready to point out to us that even though they think they got God, and in this instance they have his word, the law, they got some problems. So therefore they are condemned. Why? Because they're not living by what, folks? What is the essence of Christianity? The just shall live by what? faith. So it's the third group that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable today. Because you can look at the first group and say, well, I'm not like those guys doing their own thing and they're facing the consequences. Yeah. And I'm not like wagging the finger at somebody. I'm not self-righteous. Well, yeah, but you might be in the third group. Hopefully you're not. So I want you to notice with me. We're going to read this. Now, let me give you some background here. Paul is writing the church or the group of believers who are meeting in Jerusalem through several different households. At this time in the church, a majority of the people in the church were Jewish. In the earlier years of the church, primarily most of the church were Jews. Jews. Now, there was a segment of these Jews in the church that thought they were okay because they held to the law. In fact, they wanted to impose that on Gentile believers, be circumcised, and these kind of things. Paul is the one who would fight them about that. A lot of his letters, he's trying to adjust these folks because they're trying to impose an Old Testament system on the reality of the church and what it is in Jesus. So when he's talking here to the Jews, he's not talking to all of the Jewish people because all of the Jewish people in Rome aren't going to read this letter. He's talking to the Jew who's in that church in Rome who professes Jesus, but they're resting in something else. The reality is, is they're not resting in Jesus. They're resting in something else. And he's going to point out the problem. And why they're condemned as well. So let's look at this together. We're going to look at verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, And approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach others, do not teach yourself. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly, because to them were committed the oracles of God. What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say then? Is God unjust, who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged a sinner? And why not say, let us us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as we, as some affirm, that we can say their condemnation is just. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to to break this up into three sections, we're going to see how this This third group is condemned, and there's basically three things going on with them. First of all, they have a false confidence. All right, we're going to see, first of all, in the letter that they have a false confidence. We're also going to see that they're involved in empty rituals. Empty rituals, and you're going to be shocked at what we're going to talk about there. And then finally, we're going to talk about the reality of unbelief. Okay, the reality of unbelief in their hearts, even though they say, They have the Bible, the oracles, which would be to them the Old Testament. Even though they say they're the people of God, they have unbelief. And we're going to look and see what God's telling us today. So let's talk about false confidence, okay? False confidence. Here's the first thing I want you to know. They rested their spirituality, they rested in their spirituality for standing with God. They rested in their spirituality for standing with God. Here's what they did. They thought they were okay with God because they were, are you ready for this, a Jew. That's it. Because of the various things that they had. If you look with me at verse 17, he says, you who indeed are... Call a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. It's the same thing. There are a lot of people today. I see them sometimes out in the world. I see them sometimes even in our church. There are people who think they're okay simply because they would say, I'm a Christian and I stand on the word of God. Okay. But there's more to that than just a proclamation, than a boast. There's more to it. Your spirituality isn't about the things that you boast about or even the things that you hold to. Your spirituality has to do with the whether or not you know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Here he goes on and says this about them, and know his will and approve things which are excellent being instructed in the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind. So they, they're they basing on, oh, I have this knowledge and I'm resting in that and I can even teach others. That means nothing. Think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I have all the knowledge of the world but I have no love, Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. There's more to it than just knowing stuff. There's more to it than, than just saying you're a Christian. I've met lots of folks who say they're a Christian, but here's why they're a Christian. It's not because they came to Jesus. It's because their grandma came to the church. And they followed their grandma into church. But then their personal relationship with Christ, it doesn't exist. But but really, it doesn't even enter into their mind. They're faithful, they give, they attend. They even stand for what we would agree are the right things. But see, they're basing their spirituality on that. Here's the second thing I want you to see. They present themselves as teachers of morality, yet commit the same sins. You say, that's kind of like that second group, George, the better-than-thou group. Well, yeah, it's a little bit different, though. It's different than the guy who's judging others. This is the guy who comes along and wants to be the instructor of others. They want to teach people how to live, but yet they don't live up to it themselves. Hey, folks, by the way, do you realize that any Bible teacher there is, the Scripture says that they will have a harsher judgment than the guy sitting in a pew? Why? Because they teach God's word. And with that comes more responsibility. Why? Because of this issue. You teach others, but you don't live up to it yourself, Paul says here. In fact, look at it this way. Look with me at verse 21 and 22. Here's what he says. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? Wow, that, that's really... That, that really is convicting to me. Like, man, I'm preparing these messages. I'm getting Sunday school. Are you listening to what you're saying, George? Do you judge yourself by what you teach others? You preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Here's the one. Do you abhor idols? Do you rob temples? Now, what does that mean, rob temples? Is that talking about robbing the temple in Jerusalem? No, here's what they're doing. They say they abhor idols, but they're robbing the people who go to the temples. Somehow they had some kind of something going on where they were financially making gain off of people who were going to the temples. They were robbing the temples. Isn't that something? Here they are. They—they're the people of God. They know better. They have God's word. We're teaching others. We're telling them how to live their lives, but they themselves—what? Don't live up to it. They don't do it themselves. That, my friends, is false confidence, isn't it? That—that is—that is really false confidence. In fact, here here's the third thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 23. This is where it gets really bad. You make your boast in the law. Do you not dishonor God by breaking the law? They make their boast in the law. They make their boast in God's word, but don't they dishonor God by breaking the same word? So here's what it is. They proclaim the supremacy of God's word while they disobey it. They're condemning everyone else and claiming this is the word of God, but yet they're duplistic in their lives because they're not living up to it themselves. So then here's the problem. Verse 24, he says it like it is. Here's the problem with this group. And tell me if this isn't true today, okay? Verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Here's the thing I want you to see about this false confidence. Their hypocrisy has resulted in God being blasphemed among unbelievers. The reality is, is here they are. They're setting themselves up. They're making these boast claims. They're having this false confidence in their spirituality. They're proclaiming themselves to be the teacher of how everybody else should live, but they themselves don't live up to it. And here's the bottom line. It happens back then. It happens to this day. Unbelievers see right through it. And they blaspheme the name of God, not because of Jesus, not because of God, but because of their followers. Don't you see that happening today? I mean, to me, it's interesting because, you know, as a pastor, I'm trying to to figure out how to shepherd and and cultivate a a congregation into their relationship with Christ. But I'm also trying to understand and navigate the world that we're in so that I can help shepherd those people and, and do that. And so I'm looking and I cringe every day listening to the news Because so much of what is being hurled at believers today isn't because there's a problem with Jesus or God. And by the way, they do have a problem with Jesus and God. That's a different story. But a lot of times, it's they're hurling accusations and and anger towards believers today because of believers. Because of the holier-than-thou attitude. So Paul is coming along and saying, look, guys, you've got this false confidence. That's not what saves you. That's not your confidence in God. Your confidence in God is that you live not by all this other stuff, which you, by the way, aren't living up to. It's because of your what? Faith in Christ. Faith in the Lord. That's what justifies you. This this is the reality. So, so then we move on to, really, here's the other thing they're putting their confidence in. Empty rituals. We see this in, in, in verses 25 to 29. Look with me. He says this. Here the ritual for them is circumcision. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If therefore an uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and your circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Two things I want you to see here, okay? First of all, religious actions are meaningless if you don't obey God's word. They're meaningless. So listen to me. Their boast is, I go to all the rituals. And here specifically, they're talking about circumcision. They're okay now with God because they've been circumcised. And he says, that's meaningless. If you don't obey the law, what God wants, your circumcision is unmeaningless. Now, how do we equate that over here? People today, they'll say, I'm okay because I attend church. Which, by the way, we want you to attend church, but coming to church doesn't give you extra brownie points with God. Coming to church is so that you can connect with God's people and be encouraged for another week as you collectively come together after being in the world and being beat on up all week. Do you understand? And being encouraged in your faith, walk with Jesus. Jesus. But for some people, coming to church, they think that they're getting some sort of standing with God. For some people, they think if they give, they get some sort of special standing with God. Some people, they think if they serve in any kind of capacity, they're going to be okay with God. Some people think if I go to every activity at the church, they're going to be okay with God. If I carry the right Bible, if I do this, if I listen only to this radio station, then I'll be okay with God. All of that is meaningless. Why? Paul said it's meaningless if you don't what? Obey. If you don't do what God wants you to do. That's the bottom line. Rituals are empty if there's no heart with it. Did you understand what I'm saying? There's no in fact he, he makes that contradiction. He says, look, you're so boasting about your circumcision, but yet you're not keeping the law. What about the guy who's never been circumcised, but lives his life in what? Obedience to God. He's just like the one who's circumcised truly. He's spiritual. So religious actions are. are are meaningless. So here's a true spirituality is reflected not in outward actions, but inwardly. It's not reflected in how you are out loud. I mean, I remember, you know, I've been a believer now since 1985. So we're talking, what is this, 2023? Talking 30, 38 years here will be in April, 38 years. So I remember in the early years, I Went to a little bit of independent Baptist church and been involved in Baptist churches for a big significant part of my life. And, and you meet people and, and they look great in church. They can answer the Bible question. They can pray a prayer. And, and they dress right and they look good and, and they, ju- they serve in any kind of capacity. But then when you meet them during the week, they're just downright mean or condemning or judgmental. And, and, and you think, and, and they think they're okay because they're perfect in their attendance or they know all this stuff. But to be honest with you, they're not okay. Okay. Why? Because true spirituality, your relationship with Jesus, isn't reflected in your outward actions. It's reflected where? In your inward heart. You know, I used to say this years ago, I'll bring it back up. You know, we used to use hymnals here, okay? And I can remember in the church, I used to say years ago, you can train a monkey to come in and dress the right way and pick up a hymnal and stand at the right time and open to the right page and and pretend to sing and sit down and be quiet and have a service filled with monkeys because you can train them outwardly, but that doesn't make them what? What they should be. It's the same thing for us. You can do go through all the right actions and be in here and your heart be so far away from God. And trust me, folks, after this many years of being a pastor and interacting with people, I have met many people who basically have told me they don't believe, but why do they come? Because of their family. But their heart's not there. Actions don't save you. The faith isn't about doing the right things necessarily. But if your hearts changed, then you naturally will do what? The right things. So true spirituality is reflected not in outward actions, but inwardly. Inwardly. So then that brings us to the whole issue of unbelief. He does this through a series of questions because Paul, he's an interesting writer because when he writes, he anticipates that that the people who are listening to him are going to have questions. And so he kind of heads them off at the pass. He's, he's, he's already recognizing that there are some people who are going to listen to him just like there are some people who are listening to me today. They've got some questions about reality and about the relationship with God and what they should or shouldn't be doing. And so... He points out a few things. Look with me in the first series of questions in verses one to four of chapter three. He says, what advantage then has a Jew or what pro, or what is the profit of circumcision? Let's kind of, kind of put it down to our level. What advantage is it to being a Christian? What advantage is it to doing all the right religious stuff? That's what the question is here. And Paul says much in every way, chiefly because to them have been committed the oracles of God. So it's a, there's an advantage to being a Christian because you've been committed, what? God's word. But he goes on here and says, but for what if some did not believe? So the question is, okay, well, yeah, they got this, but what if they don't believe? Well, he says this, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and you may overcome when you are judged. So what's going on here? Well, here's what he's saying. They were not faithful to God's word. That's really the issue here. They can boast, yes, I'm a believer and yes, I have God's word, but the problem is it gets down to this. They're not faithful to it. The third group is in trouble because, okay, remember, the first group, they're in trouble because they're doing their own thing. They don't want to have anything to do with God. God says, go on, do whatever you want. You're condemned. You're going to face the consequences of your actions. Live without me, but you're condemned. Second group, they're the group, they're not necessarily following God, but they're like really moral and righteous. And I've met people who are not religious, but they're very moral. They judge other people. He said the problem is they can't live up to the very standard by which they judge others by their condemned. Now here's the third group. The third group's the ones who has God's word. Third group is the one who says they're following after God. But the problem is he's bringing it right down. Even with their questions, they're not faithful to God's word. They're resting in some sort of standing, some sort of religious actions, and they think they're okay with God, but they're not. Because they're not faithful to His Word. Then He gives a second series of questions. We see this in verses 5 to 8. Here's what He says But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? So here's the question. Here's what what he's anticipating his right readers there to say. Well, you know, if our doing wrong, okay, if our doing wrong demonstrates the righteousness of God, so if our doing wrong demonstrates how forgiving God is, have you seen that bumper sticker? I hate it. I just want to scrape it off when I see it riding down the road, if I can catch up to it. And it says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Stupid bumper sticker. Why would you say that? you got the same attitude here. My imperfection proves his what? Forgiveness. Really, does God need me and my screw-ups to prove how forgiving he is? No. But yet we think that way. They're thinking that way. Let's go on here. He says this. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged a sinner? And why not say, let us go do evil that good may come? You see where it's going with this argument? You think your sin is proving the forgiveness of God? Your spirituality, because you're not perfect, but forgiven. As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. So here's the point. They felt their spirituality gave them an inside track with God. What do you mean, George? I've met them. It is very possible to be someone who claims to be a Christian and think it's okay to do what's wrong because somehow you think you've got an inside track with God now. And that inside track with God is that, yes, you're messing up and, yes, you're doing the same things that you're condemning others for, but you're okay with God and you're just proving that God is what? Forgiving. So they're not being faithful to God's word, but they're making assumptions about God too. And he says what? Finally, their condemnation is what? Assured. Just. See, they got all the wrong basis. The basis for what they're doing is some quote standing that they think they have. Some fact that they're doing all this religious activity. They present themselves as moral teachers, but they don't keep up with the law themselves. They they present themselves as having this inside track with God, but they don't. You don't have an inside track with God, folks. You have one thing only. Faith. Faith. That's what you're supposed to live by faith in Christ. So, therefore, they're judged. You say, okay, George, man, wow, that's pretty, pretty, again, another heavy, heavy message. Yeah, we only got one more week of heavy, okay? Then it gets better, all right? So, what do we do with this? Well, you've got to ask yourself some questions. Okay, so you know, the first week, I, I brought, told you a couple of things. Okay, what, how do we respond to the culture? How do we respond to ourselves? Last week, when we talked about the morality thing and judging others, but can't live up to it ourselves, we focused more on ourselves. This week, we're going to focus more on ourselves. My thoughts for you to think about today are on yourself. And they really come down to the last two issues that we talked about here. Here's the first question you've got to ask yourself. What is the basis of your standing with God? What is the basis of you being able to go to him, trust in him, Expect him to answer things in your life. Why, why is it that you can go to him? Do you understand? I'm giving you different, different ways of phrasing it. The point is, is what is the basis of your standing with God? And so the wrong answers Paul is saying here to us is because you would say, well, I am a Christian. Well, great. Anybody can say that. And by the way, a lot of folks do say that. That doesn't mean they are. I hold to the word of God. Great. That's wonderful. Well, what does that mean? What is the basis? That what he's trying to get you to understand is that the stuff that we point to to give our basis is not a basis. In fact, the stuff that we point to that we think may give us some sort of standing with God may actually be lies that we're believing because what really gives us a standing with God goes back to chapter 1, verse 17. The just shall live by what? Faith. My standing with God has nothing to do with me. Your standing with God has nothing to do with you. It has to do with one person only, Jesus Christ, who, by the way, gave his life long before you were ever born, long before you ever considered him, because he loved you and wanted to have you have an opportunity to have a relationship with him so the reality is is listen to me what's the basis of your standing Now, there's a second part of that first question that I want you to consider. And for some of you, it'll be a freeing thing because some of you today are defeated because you think, because you're not living up to the other stuff that people are resting in, you think that somehow you're less than. And here's what I'm going to tell you. That's a lie as well. Your standing with Jesus has nothing to do with you. It has to do with Jesus you understand. So the first question, what's the basis of your standing? Here's the second one. Having realized where you are at, what are you doing with his word? What are you doing with God's word? Now, what do you mean by that, George? What I mean by is this. It's one thing to sit there and say, well, I believe that it is. You know, I remember as a young man in the Independence Baptist churches hearing sermon after sermon about why I believe there's a hell or why I believe in the Bible or why I stand on this. Great, you can answer all of those questions. But it's meaningless, Paul says, if you don't what? Follow it. Let it become part of your life. You can answer all the questions there are. But it's all meaningless if it's not a part of your life. So those are the two questions. And those are the questions that reflect where you're really at. But here's the thing. Only you can answer those questions. Now here's the wonderful thing. If the questions are negatively responded to by you, here's the wonderful thing. You're not doomed. You can go to Him and say to Him, God, I've been wrong. I've been trusting in the wrong things. Help me to just trust in You. And here's what I can tell you He's forgiving. And he's been waiting for you to come to that conclusion. So just go to him. Let me pray for you.